morning. Our Bible reading this morning is from the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 7 to 17. That's Romans, chapter 1, verses 7 to 17. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times and I pray that now at last by God's will the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, for that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who, who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from the first to the last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. Uh, thank you, Ken. Uh, friends, uh, I have gray hair. I turned 60, and now I'm a grandfather. So I just figure there's going to be a lot of wisdom coming out of me from now on. And um, so I'm, I think this sermon might even be better than normal. And so uh, that's what they tell me anyway. Uh, let me pray. God, uh, we ask that you would speak to us from your word, to be encouraged by the truth, and to, uh, to see the power of the gospel, and that we would play our part in sharing this powerful gospel with others that they too would be saved. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, there's no greater joy than uh, seeing your children place their faith in Jesus Christ, is there? Mothers and fathers pray for their children, they teach them God's word, they model faith, they expose them to church and to kids' church and to missionaries and to holiday clubs and to Christian worship and to Christian music, and they send them to conventions as our young people did last, went to last week in Katoomba. Uh, so that could be hearing God's word challenged and inspired. They encourage them to step up, to serve, to make a difference in the world. That's what parents do. That's what mothers do. And it's exciting to see young children asking about baptism. Say, we put our faith in Jesus. They're raised in Christian families and say, we want to step up and say, yes, we belong to Jesus now. There is no greater heartache, though, than to see them walk away from God. And we acknowledge that. And today we thank mothers for all they do in God's mission. To see lives transformed through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Through tears and laughter, heartbreak and joy, you don't give up. And we want to acknowledge that we see what you do at home, at work, and in ministry. And we honour you, 
We thank God for what he does through you. As I think of mothers, I also think of the, the Apostle Paul, who had a fatherly heart and yet a motherly heart, as he describes himself in 1 Thessalonians, for the people that he serves. He had a genuine concern that men and women who come to Christ would grow and mature in the faith, would stay solid and strong, and would then use their gifts and abilities to take the gospel to other people. Now, Paul had a specific mission in life. We don't always get our call like this from God, so direct. But his was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 9, Ananias was told, and Ananias was told to meet Paul, and he said, well, Saul, we know of Saul, he arrests Christians, he puts them to death. And God said, no, 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 Ananias, things have changed. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Set apart to do this mission. And now he writes uh, to the Roman, what I call the Roman saints, the Christian believers in Rome in that first century. And last week we saw that the gospel was for all people. And verse 5, Paul was commissioned by God to call people from among all the Gentiles. And he had never been to Rome, missed out. He'd heard about the church. He had heard the good stories that there was a, a vibrant church in Rome. There were genuine Christians. He was keen to preach there, not only to encourage the believers, but he wanted to preach the gospel to the rest of the Romans, because most of them were lost. They didn't know Jesus. They were following all types of gods. And he said, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, or the, uh, the original literal Greek word is saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. To all in Rome. John Stott says, for us, it is harder for us to imagine the sensations which the mere mention of the word Rome would arouse in first century people who live far away in one of the provinces. Rome is the capital. It's the center of everything. And Bishop Neil writes, she was the eternal city which had given them peace, the fount of law, the center of civilization, a mecca of poets and orators and artists while being at the same time a home of every kind of idolatrous worship. Paul said to all in Rome, even in Rome, God has his people. And we could say today, even in Mozambique, God has his people. Or even in New York City, God has his people. Even in Sydney, God has his people. Don't think God is not at work in place of the world. The bigger cities, the smallest towns, God is doing his work. I like how he describes them. They are loved by God. How good is that, isn't it? Loved by God their Father, as you are loved and as I am loved. I think we need to remember sometimes uh, uh, we, we feel unloved. Maybe we've been rejected. Maybe uh, your relationship with your mother was not that good. Maybe your relationship with children is, is not that good. And you think, well, Mother's Day is a tough day. And it's a tough day for a lot of people. And maybe your husband doesn't love you. Or maybe your, your kids you have broken relationships. You don't. We all carry some of these burdens out there, but what he says to the believers, and I think God says to us, we are deeply loved by God, our Father. Secondly, he calls them saints, holy people. Now, the saints was a regular description of Israel in the Old Testament, and now he calls the Gentile Christians in Rome saints. He said, we're saints, we're holy ones, we're set apart ones. As were they, as are we. We are saints, we are God's holy ones. Now, recipients of God's grace and peace. In the Old Testament, in the Aaronic blessing, in the Old Testament, prayer 
was that Yahweh would be gracious to his people and he would give them peace in Numbers chapter 6. And so Paul used that same language, but now grace means God's free act in justifying sinners. That's grace. God forgives us by, by his grace. And also we have peace with God and peace with one another. Jews and Gentiles are now part of the same family, belong to the covenant people of God. And then we see Paul's pastoral heart expressed in verses 8 to 13. We move on there. And you get an insight into someone on what they talk about, what they pray about, what's on their heart. And Paul thanks God for them. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Rome has been evangelized. There are true believers there. And he says the message is getting out everywhere that there are Christians there. Now, every so often uh, I run into people and I say, oh, you know, where do you go to church? I go to Nawi Baptist, not expecting that they would know anything. They went, really, you're at Nawi? Oh, he has such good reports about what God is doing there. And it's not a surprise, from time to time, and I, and I said, how do you know Nawi? Well, I had a friend who went there, or I, my mother went there, or someone else went there, and I got converted there, or I have a history there, or... Reputations are important not to glorify the church, Paul's not glorifying the church. He's saying God is that work and the word is getting out to others. He thanks God for them. Who are you thanking God for? He prays for them. You know, he thanks God for them, but he prays for them. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you. I love that. Constantly I remember you. And in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Friends, prayer and preaching go together, don't they? Prayer and mission, prayer and love, whatever it happens to be, they go together. If you care for people, you pray for them. You pray that God would do his work because you can be the best preacher in the world, you could be the best cook in the world and take over a meal with someone, but if you are not praying for the power of God to be at work, it may just be an act, a loving act, but God is not honored and God is not glorified. I think he's going to pray for their faithfulness, their spiritual growth, their strength, their courage, their love, their witness, their perseverance. He prays for them. And I, on Mother's Day, I urge you to pray for those you love, to love Jesus, to grow in him. And sometimes I forget to pray for my family. I'm busy praying for other things. I've got to pray for my daughters. I've got to pray for my wife. I've got to pray for my, my cousins. I've got to pray for my father. And a day like this, we remember to pray for them. So I ask, who are you praying for? Who are you thanking God for? Who are you praying for? And then he longs to see them to be mutually encouraged. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Some debate is saying, well, what does, what does it mean that I'm going to impart some spiritual gift? Well, God imparts the gifts, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, gives us the gifts. I think he's probably saying I, he brings the gift of teaching or exhortation to encourage them. So I want to be with you to impart a spiritual gift. See what your specific needs are. Is it encouragement? Is it teaching? Is it rebuke? Or is it whatever it happens to be? I want to be there to impart some gift to you to help you. But then he said, I love the fact that I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. As I'm preaching now, I hope that not only am I imparting a gift to you, but that as we talk afterwards and we interact together, 
I get, I get encouraged by your response. I get encouraged by what you say to me. Sometimes people say to me afterwards, oh, this was really helpful for me in my life because I'm dealing with this. Will you pray for me? And well, God worked in my life. and You won't believe it. God did this this week. And what you said this morning, that really uh, resonated with me. And as we talk, and obviously it happens more in a small group when you lead because you can discuss it. We can't do it in a gathering like this. But the point of gathering is for mutual encouragement. Uh, when I uh, went to Lebanon a number of years ago and I worked with Millard for a couple of weeks, I mean, I'm going to his Bible study. The first day I arrived, he said, Ange, you know, it's a 24-hour trip to Lebanon, right? With a whole bunch of my Arabic friends from Bankstown on the same airplane. Now, it's tiring when you get there. He said, uh, I said, do we have a, a break tonight, Millard? Get there, just have dinner. Can I go to sleep? He said, no, they're all coming over for Bible study. That's Millard for you, right? The house is packed, and I'm trying to stay awake, open up your eyes, and, uh, and just sharing a little bit, of, no, share some of the word with them, and then they tell me their stories, how they came to faith, and the joy of being together. I got more from them than, they got, than I gave them. Isn't that the case? We are mutually encouraged. And, you know, then I went to speak in a four-day summer camp with him, and Bible studies, and church, and uh, people were saying to me beforehand, going on a holiday to Lebanon, are you? do you know Millard? Seriously, what are you thinking? <laughs> but it was a great time to be mutually encouraged. And when I spoke at the Next Gen Conference at Katoomba a number of years ago on the book of Leviticus, give you a hard book to preach on, um, and I go to give to all these trainee leaders coming from all over Sydney, and then afterwards I talk to the other leaders, the other pastors, and the young people come and interact with you over the word. There's mutual encouragement. So be aware, Paul says, when I come with whatever God has given me to say to you, there's a mutual encouragement we look forward to. So gathering in church and Bible study and fellowship and serving together, friends, it's not a pastor, it's not a missionary who does everything and you just receive. No, we receive back. And 25 years down the track where I've been here for 25 years, you have given so much to me in your prayers and your affirmation and your love. And that's why we keep going, right? Because the church works together in that way. And he'd often plan to visit him, he said in verse 13, and said, guys, uh, and part of the introduction to the letter, he wants them to understand that he, he would have hoped to have been there earlier, but he couldn't get there. Uh, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among other Gentiles. So I wanted to come to you, and sometimes God doesn't open up the door to go. So I've desired to come, and other things have held him back from being able to be there. He wants to preach evangelistically and see many Gentiles saved. You know, I talked about going to Lebanon. We made some plans, we prayed, and I got to Lebanon. I was able to do that ministry. Uh, I was able to go to Nepal with Baptist World Aid with my wife and a team to visit a variety of projects. I've been able to go to Indonesia a number of times to visit some of our workers over there. But I've been trying to get to see David and Carol that we talked about last week in Southeast Asia. We started about four years ago. I say, David, when's a good time to come and visit you to see the work firsthand? Because when you see the work firsthand, it just comes alive. And then one of my daughters decided to get married in November when I was going to go, oh, well, I, I guess I chose the wedding over the, the mission trip. And then we thought, what about next November? 
then my other daughter decides to get married. They're all beautiful occasions, right? I'm not complaining about my daughter getting married. Don't tell them that. Uh, and then it just so happened, and then we hit COVID. And so one day, I can say to David, I look forward to visiting you. It's not that I didn't want to come, David and Kaz, but one day, and life and ministry is like that. And Paul is honest enough to say, guys, I want to be with you. And then we see Paul's commitment to evangelism in verses 14 to 17, why he's willing to go to the ends of the earth. He says in verse 14, he's obligated. Verse 15, he's eager. Verse 16, he's not ashamed. First, he's obligated and eager to preach to everyone. To everyone. I'm obligated. It's like he said, I have a debt to go to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. So Jesus Christ has given him the gospel. He said, I have a job to do, I have a debt, and I need to go. I can't keep this gospel to myself. It's a gift of God. My life has been transformed. I need to go to the Greeks and non-Greeks. Uh, the Greek word for non-Greeks is literally barbarians. It's those who are not the educated, the Greco-Roman culture, those part of the Greco-Roman culture and those outside of it, those who are wise or foolish, the intelligent and not so intelligent. I'm willing to go to everyone, he says. And that's why in chapter 15 he says he also wants to go to Spain even further out after ministering in Rome, go to as many people as possible. And friends, we too have received the gospel, and we are not apostles, uh, but we do we see ourselves as obligated to our neighbours, our community, our city, our world, to men and women, to mums and dads, to the rich and the poor, the academics and the students, to the Greeks and the Chinese, to the arrogant and the humble, to the neighbours and people in other lands. Paul says, I have a gospel. I've got to go and share it with others. Friends, let me give you some illustrations of people we need to go to. I remember meeting Andy. I'll never forget Andy. It was at Terrigal Beach. I was with a youth group from Springwood Baptist Church and uh, a whole bunch of teenagers and uh, on the beach for a day outing. And, uh, and I noticed there's this guy who looked quite messy. He's had a long beard and hair everywhere and uh, he didn't dress too well. He uh, looked like he needed a fair bit of help. But he, he kept chatting to all our 15, 16-year-old girls. Right? And I'm a very protective youth pastor. So I sort of go along and they came and said, uh, Ange, this, this guy's always hanging around and talking to us. And um, so and then I went up and had a conversation with Andy. And uh, how are you, Andy? I'm the youth pastor. You met some of our girls from our youth group. Yeah, he said. Uh, I said, how are you? He said, oh, I'm happy. I looked at him, my man, you're lying to me. I didn't say that. I said, I said, Andy, are you really happy? And he said, no. He said, I'm miserable. I'm not happy at all. I said, what's going on in your life? And we talked about how he'd been in church, had some Christian friends, but he'd messed up his life and abused alcohol and a few other things and had been a teen challenge to get some help. And uh, he lived alone. And here he was and some people were nice. He's, he was just thankful that some nice, friendly kids were talking to him. We found out he had a connection to a church somewhere, and I said, Andy, Jesus can make a difference in your life. Why don't you reconnect with that pastor you told me about? Why don't you knock on that door this week? Go and have a conversation with them. Well, Chloe is a young woman in our church, and she's grown up in our family and has come to know and love Jesus. She's been 
asking about baptism. Can I be baptised? And they've done some discipling with her. So on June the 12th, she's going to be baptised. Or take Sophie. She's now Chinese ministry. Maybe 30s or 40s, I wasn't sure of her age. Came to know Jesus Christ and she's going to be baptised on May the 22nd. Or take uh, Lee and Lynn Morris, though, told us once a number of years ago about a Thai woman who had HIV and they were ministering to this woman in, on mission. So the woman died of lung cancer. But two days before she died, she accepted Jesus and asked Jesus to take her home. From Terrigal to Nawi to the Chinese ministry to a Thai woman. And Cam serves in Mozambique. We think about Mozambique today in an oral Bible translation. Uh, Cam walked 10 kilometers to spend time with a Yao friend that they were reaching out to, build a relationship over many years. And he took a translation of the Bible uh, to, to read uh, to his friend that he was going to meet. And this friend was open to considering Christianity and what it meant to follow Jesus. But when he arrived, he noticed this fellow was making mud bricks to build a new kitchen for the fam- for family member. So what could Cam do? Well, he puts down the scriptures, he rolls up his sleeves, he says to his mate, I'm here to help you, that's why I've come. And together they get their hands dirty with red clay. They build bricks to build the new kitchen. And as they're building and working, and you'll notice this happens, right? As they're working together, they're talking. How's the week been? How's your life? And talk, stories about Jesus, stories about the family, stories about his struggles. While they are working, making bricks, God was at work with him. The theme for uh, Baptist Mission Australia this year, the f- my mission appeal is crossing the street. Crossing the street. Where, where will you, what street will you cross to talk to someone or to love to someone or to serve someone? Some people cross nations, big oceans to get there. But which street will you cross? But he has confidence in the power of the gospel. He does, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. He is not ashamed, but he glories in the gospel. Have you ever been ashamed of the gospel? Well, you're in a situation, maybe at a party or a function or a workplace, and the gospel comes out and you think, oh, I better not say anything. I might offend everyone. I'll just keep it quiet and not say anything. When there is a good opportunity, an open door, not pushy, but an open door just to gently commend Christ. Paul says, not ashamed. Lock me up. Beat me up, throw me into prison, I will do whatever to get that message out to others. Is he just a crazy fanatic? No. I'm not ashamed because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I say, don't be ashamed. Get to it, proclaim it. It will have eternal significance. I saw a Peanuts cartoon recently and Linus had just thrown a stick for Snoopy to retrieve. His first instinct was to chase the stick, but he paused for a few moments and decided against it. No, I'm not going. That's what you do. You're a dog. Chase the stick. Not going. He says, I want people to have more to say about me after I'm gone that he was a nice guy and he chased sticks. And friends, sometimes we need to be motivated by more than just chasing sticks, just doing the normal things of life. Eat, drink, go to work, go to the football game. Go on holidays, more than the normal. He was a good man. 
She's a good mother. Who chase sticks. There's a point where we need to engage in things of eternal significance. Eternal significance. And sharing the gospel is one of those things. Friends, that's why we preach the gospel. That's why we run our SRE in schools and kids clubs and youth groups and send missionaries and run playtime groups and craft groups and we send support workers in Australia and overseas. And also the other great thing is the gospel reveals God's righteousness. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It's a loaded verse, this one. And John Stott, oh, I want to just quote how he defines what Paul is getting at here, which I think is helpful. It says, The righteousness of God is God's righteous initiative in putting sinners right with himself. God does the right thing by making us right before him. He bestows on us a righteousness that is not our own, because we're sinners and failed. How does he bestow that righteousness upon us? How does he do the right thing and show himself to be righteous? He has done this through Christ, the righteous one who died for the unrighteous, and he does it by faith when I put our trust in him and cried to him for mercy. So when at the age of 15 I repented and put my faith in Jesus Christ, God did the righteous thing and declared me righteous. He declared me perfect. When you put your faith in Christ, God then declares you justified, we say, forgiven, set right with God, no longer an enemy of Christ but now a friend of Christ, no longer guilty but innocent. This is what he's getting at. God is righteous in offering righteousness to us because of the work of Jesus on that cross. And when you come to him, the righteous will live by faith. You trust in Christ, you now live by trusting in him. Let me conclude. Friends, we need to stand with our missionaries who serve Christ cross-culturally because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And we show that up in our prayer, with our finances, and with regular correspondence to those who have gone before us. But we also need to make ourselves available to cross the street in Sydney, Australia, to share the gospel with others. At the Nepal courts, in the playtime ministry, in your workplace, wherever it happens to be, cross the street to love people and to commend Christ to them. But you don't share in your own power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, he says. A good friend uh, that Dave and I studied with at Bible College was a fellow called Peter Kelly. Peter came to uh, college a little bit older than us. He'd lived a long life, but he'd lived a non-Christian life. And um, Peter said about himself, he said, I was a biker, I was uh, arrogant, I had no interest in God, and my marriage breakdown was imminent. So then, riding my bike one day, I was in a major bike accident, it left me in hospital for many months, stuck there. He said, I had a friend from work who was a Christian, and he visited me many times during that time. He said, I couldn't go anywhere, I was stuck for months. But this Christian, time and time again, came to love me, and to see me and to encourage me. And one day he asked me two questions. What do you believe about Jesus? 
And what would have happened if you had died in that accident? Peter said, the resulting conversations led to me believing the gospel and placing my faith in Jesus Christ. So you have to understand, I was a tough, arrogant, self-made man. God humbled me through that accident and the witness of this Christian friend. He started doing the Bible studies with his Christian friend. His life started to change. His wife was stunned and amazed at the transformation. She watched him for almost 12 months, she said, he said, 12 months. And having seen the amazing changes in Peter and in their marriage, she believed the gospel as well. And it was a delight to meet them, be mutually encouraged with each other as we studied at Bible college together. God can do what seems to be the impossible to transform people's lives. Get to it, pray, commend Christ to God be the glory. Pray. Lord God, we thank you for the power of the gospel the power of the gospel that changed our lives, that is changing lives across the globe today, changing lives right in this church. Lord, uh, may we trust in your power. May we be filled with the Holy Spirit because he is the one who empowers us. May we see many more saved and great glory come to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.